Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, can we, before the kids go? Kids, hold on just for a, a moment. I want us all together to, uh, to read something together, all right? So it's going to be on your screen, and uh, I want to, even the kids to know that this has been something that has been read by Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years, all right? It goes way, way back. So let's read it together. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And read it nice and loud. Here we go. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church Universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right, kids, you can be dismissed. Everybody on the aisle, give them a high five as they walk out, or a handshake, pat on the back, and the rest of you can be seated. Today we're beginning a, a new series on, of all things, whoa, what happened? Are we Okay. Uh, we're beginning a new series on, a, on a, of all things, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, some of you might say, the Apostles' Creed? What, what are we going to talk about concerning the Apostles' Creed? Well, hopefully you got a little sense of what we're going to talk about as we just read it together. But it seems to me that in a day like the one that we live in, when the Christian faith is, is under attack on, on many fronts, when world religions and so-called spiritual traditions are, are increasingly in vogue. And in a world where even the beliefs of good church folk, that's, that's you, good church folk. You know, even the beliefs of good church folk like you and me are being influenced more and more, whether we know it or not, by pop philosophies and New Age mysticism. In a day like this, we need the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is, is an anchor, if you will. And I'm just, I want to kind of set the stage. It's an anchor, if you will, that, that, that has kept and will keep the Christian faith from drifting out to sea or into the rocks or onto the sandy beach like happened at East Beach. If you saw some of those boats that came crashing onto the, onto the beach in recent storms. Maybe some of you are very familiar with the Apostles' Creed. You, you've been a part of faith traditions in your past your past life that, uh, that you know, read this, this creed weekly, perhaps, right? And maybe for some of you, you, know, you learned it early and these words, you've memorized them, they've been etched on your brain and on your heart. Maybe even as you read it, you had to fight from just kind of reciting it mindlessly because you know it so well. 
Others of you, that may be the first time you've ever read it. The first time you've ever seen it or heard it. And there it is. Maybe others of you are like, well, I'm pretty sure I remember that from last Easter. We read it in our baptism service, you know, or I remember that from some other church service before, but you're not real familiar with it. Whatever the case, this is my hope. And over the next about six weeks, we're going to be preaching on the Apostles' Creed. And I'm going to be preaching and Pastor Jake's going to be preaching and Danny's, Pastor Danny's going to preach as well. And we're going to kind of rotate around a little bit. But our hope as we as we work our way through the Apostles' Creed, is that this would, um, this would become something special to us. That this ancient document of the Christian tradition, you know, it's been around for hundreds of years, it would become more than just uh, you know, basic instruction for us as we seek to live uh, uh, the life of a Christian. But it would actually inspire us, and, and I'm praying hard that it would actually inspire us to reach for new heights as we seek to become and be the people that God has called us to be. And, and it truly, the words of this creed would be more than just words on a page or words that have been read or words that we recite, but they, they would become words that we can live by, words that can guide us in our daily living as we walk in relationship with God. Now, let me be clear, all right, from the start. The Apostles' Creed is not Scripture. All right, it, you can hunt your, in your Bible, it, it's not there. And it, it has never been and never should be considered on par, you know, with Scripture. And, and yet, while it is not recognized as God-breathed or inspired uh, and, and worthy of inclusion in the Bible itself, the truths that are contained in it, as you just heard, as we just read, are clearly taken straight from Scripture. The Creed, just to give you some, some of the origins of the Apostles' Creed, it takes his name, its name from the 12 disciples who became apostles, uh, who were sent out after Jesus had ascended into heaven to, to spread the news of Christianity around the land. And uh, no doubt this name of it suggests that it contains some of the essential teachings or essential instruction of those original apostles. And there was a one legend that was told all the way from the 4th century to the 15th century that, that suggested that on the day of Pentecost, some of you remember that, that day that we celebrate in the church, the day of Pentecost when after Jesus had ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came down on the disciples and, and, and gifted them with the ability to speak in other languages and it was just kind of the birthday of the Christian church. Well, there's this, this legend that said... Um, that on that same day, the Holy Spirit spoke to the apostles and gave to each of them a particular clause in the Apostles' Creed. This legend said that Peter, for instance, got, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And Andrew got, and I believe in Jesus Christ. And James got one, and John got one, and each disciple got a particular clause. Now, all the way through all those hundreds of years, that Legends served to give great authority to the Apostles' Creed, right? I mean, it was given by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, spoken directly to the Apostles and from them. But in about the 15th century, scholars got together and they said, that legend is probably just that, a legend. probably didn't actually happen. Instead, what they began to agree upon is that the, the, the teachings and the core doctrine that is proclaimed in the Apostles' Creed was an expression 
of what those disciples had taught and had been passed on to the, the following generations of believers. But not only was it an expression of what the apostles had taught, it was an expression of what Jesus had taught to the apostles. And so really, while we call it the Apostles' Creed, the origins, origins could really be traced back to Jesus himself. It was when he uh, was leaving the earth and Jesus was ascending, getting ready to go. Some of his last words, the very last words to his, his apostles and to his followers, if you remember, were the Great Commission. And he said to, to go into all the nations and baptize them in the, does anybody remember, in the what? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it appears that his followers actually took him seriously when he said to do that. What a concept. People actually taking seriously what Jesus says to do. And, and, and we find, this is a little bit of a church history lesson, I know, but we find in some early Christian documents from the first and second century some some baptismal rituals that had been developed by the Christian church that included uh, some belief statements in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. It was as if they developed some ritual like we do when we baptize people that, that encouraged the people to affirm their faith. And this became kind of the core of what we have today as our Apostles' Creed. And then over the next few centuries... The church responded to different debates and crises and some false teaching and added some other elements to the creed to explain things and give clarity. And in about the 6th century, we got what we know today as our Apostles' Creed. Uh, and, and we've had it ever since. And ever since then, this creed has been used in a variety of ways. And its purpose has been you know, multiple uses uh, in the church and in the lives of Christians. It's clear to see, as we read that, that it contains the kind of the basics of the Christian faith. If you wanted to boil the Christianity down to kind of a few statements, the Apostles' Creed is a great place to start. It's a great place to kind of bring it all down. It doesn't say everything for sure, but it says a lot. Saying it does not make you a Christian. Uh, I think there are maybe many people over the centuries that have just kind of thought that if I say the creed once a week, then I'm good to go. Uh, not the case. But, but it is a summary of our faith, and, and it's definitely been used to, to teach and instruct. In fact, early on and still today, it was used to instruct those who were coming in preparation for baptism so they could know what faith they were being baptized into. Uh, there are some kind of tricky parts in it, even as we read it today. Maybe there are some parts that, as we got to it, you're like, what does that mean? Well, you'd be happy to know that Pastor Jake and Pastor Danny will be teaching on those <laughs> in uh, weeks to come. There are some kind of tricky parts, and, and we're going to do our best to kind of explain some of those and work through it. And just, what is the language saying? What, was the, what did the original language say, perhaps, that our language doesn't quite carry, and how does the Bible speak through these things and, and the truth that, that can get to us. But not only has it been a brief summary of the faith, it's, it's helped us not only to know what to believe, it also helps us to know what not to believe. 
I almost think this is even a more significant use of the Apostles' Creed for us today. Uh, and, and from the earliest days, you know, there were what's known as heresies, which just basically means false teachings, where people would kind of say, well, actually, Jesus didn't appear. Or, actually, Jesus didn't have a physical body. He was only an appearance. Or actually, one, one guy said, Marcion, which is kind of a bad name around the Christian tradition, this guy said, actually, the God of the New Testament was a different God in the Old Testament. And the, and the one who created the world, he was, he was actually a, a semi-demi-God. And, uh, you know, we don't really want to talk about him because all material is, is bad and, and evil. And, I mean, just these different heresies that came about... And, and so the, the Apostles' Creed formed in large part to say, this is not only what we believe, but this is what we do not believe. And in our day, as I spoke of earlier again about some New Age mysticism and spiritual traditions that are all around us and influencing us in TV shows and, and uh, media and countless other sources, it's helpful for us to know what to believe and what not to believe. All right. Then the third thing, I really like the purpose of the Apostles' Creed, and another reason why we're going to spend these weeks on it, is that as we read it, I really want you to get hold of this, because this has just been driving me all week long, that as we read it, and why I wanted the kids to read it with us, when we read this Apostles' Creed, it serves to connect us with generations of believers who have come before us. I think this is just such an amazing thought. It, it connects us with believers right back to the upper room where Jesus met with his disciples. And as we study it, and as we dig into it, we do so in, in community with the millions of believers who have studied this creed over these hundreds of years in preparation for their baptism. And every time we recite it over these weeks to come, I want you to realize that you're doing so in unison with the voices of Christians from, from the last two centuries. Or, or millennia, actually. Last 20 centuries. And, and, and believers who recited this creed in, in small group gatherings and in caves and in big cathedrals and in small churches and in homes... And when doing so, they would sometimes risk great persecution or imprisonment or even death. They still stood and affirmed, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And so on and so on. And we read it today with such ease and such familiarity. And I want you to realize that every time we read it, we do so in, in unison with the church that has gone before us. And in, in community with those who will read it with us. In, in years to come. So, uh, this, in other words, from its origins to its purpose, is a great gift to the church from God. I believe it. It, it was man-made, we might say, but from the expression uh, of Jesus' earliest teaching to us. It's a great gift that we dare not recite mindlessly, that we dare not completely ignore, as has been the case in our tradition, I fear, too often and in many of the traditions that you have grown up in, uh, but that we've let it find its right place in teaching us and shaping us as the people of God. So this morning, I just want to dig into the first phrase for a few moments together, 
This first phrase that sets the stage for all that is to follow in the rest of the Apostles' Creed. This, this first uh, phrase that, that kind of gets us going in the right direction. I want to put it right up here for us and let's read it again boldly and strongly as if you really believe it. All right, let's read it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Pretty simple. But that is a mouthful, my friends. I believe in Latin credo, from which we get creed, the Apostles' Creed, just simply means I believe. But when we say I believe, we're, we're not just saying I believe in a God that exists. I looked up some of the surveys online that different polling organizations have given over the years asking Americans how many of you believe in God. And one that I found from recent years said 92% of the Americans believe in God. That's a pretty good statistic. But if they were asked this question, it would most likely be quite a bit lower. We're not just saying that we believe in a God that exists, but we're saying that we believe as the Christian church in a very specific kind of God. A God that, yes, while the song that we sang earlier, it's true, he's indescribable, and yet the, the Bible clearly speaks of some characteristics and defining uh, personality uh, uh, characteristics that, that teach us and show us that we're believing in a very particular God, in fact. And so this God is spoken of throughout Scripture. And, and when we say we believe in Him, we're not saying we just agree that there's a God, but we're saying that we're committed to Him. We're saying that we trust in Him. We're saying that we'll obey Him. And, and as we look at how He's described throughout Scripture, this picture begins to evolve, just as the, the Creed has spoken to us of. This God is is not just a, a, an, impor, an impersonal force in the universe, by any means. This God is more than just a higher power. This God is not just a supreme being. This God is this kind of a God. And, and look at just the words that, that the creed uses to describe him. I'm just going to run this through and show you some of the, the particular words. I believe in God, the Father. There's one. It's very significant. Go to the next one. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty. This isn't any God. This is an Almighty God. And then, of course, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Or really, heaven and earth just means everything, all things. Now, there's a passage in Scripture that, that, that uh, I think just speaks so beautifully to the truths that are proclaimed in the Apostles' Creed. In fact, I, I think, again, that the truths from the Apostles' Creed stem from Scripture and, and not Scripture from the Creed, obviously. So we're going to try to drive each aspect of the Creed from Scripture. And the one I want to look at with you this morning is from the book of Job. And if you have a Bible, could you just turn to Job? It's kind of in the middle, right there before Psalms. And um, again... This kind of a God is spoken of throughout, from, from Genesis to Revelation, no doubt. But let me just kind of settle right there in the middle on Job, because I think there is, thank you, there, is some, there are some great words to us 
in this interaction, this conversation that God is having with Job. Now, if you remember the story of Job at all, you remember that, that Job went through all kinds of suffering, right? All kinds of difficult times in, in trying to, to, you know, test his faith. And, and it was this big, uh, you know, big, big deal to kind of figure out if he would, if he would stay true in his faith uh, before God. And indeed he does. And yet throughout the, the, the book, there are a couple of times where he kind of questions God's loyalty or God's ability to really care for him. Questions if God will really be there for him and if he's able in the end to take care of him. And so in Job, uh, beginning in chapter 38, there's this conversation between God and Job. But it's really much less a conversation than it is a monologue. I mean, God is the one at this point doing the talking. He's the one who's kind of setting things straight. There's, Job has a few things to say, but primarily it's God. And I think that as we read portions of this, as I want to do for you right now, we'll begin to get even greater, a greater glimpse of this very God that the Creed has spoken of and this very God that we declare our belief in as uh, Christians today. So um, would you stand with me? I just want to read portions of this, beginning in Job chapter 38. And uh, I'm going to read about the first 18 verses, and then I'm going to jump over to verse, or chapter 39, and I'm going to pick up at verse 19 and read to the end of the chapter. So it's a little bit extended, but um, I want you to get a full picture of what, is being, what God is saying here about himself as we continue to, to gain our understanding of who he is. So listen to this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and he said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the seas behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt? Have you ever given orders to the morning? Or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Shift over to chapter 39, verse 19. God has spoken about kind of the inanimate creation that he has brought into being. Now he shifts his focus to some of the animate creation, the animals and creatures in our world. Verse 19, this will be great for you horse lovers. Do you give the horse his strength or clothe his neck with a flowing mane? Do you make him leap like a locust, striking terror with his proud snorting? He paws fiercely, rejoicing in his strength, and charges into the fray. He laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. He does not shy away from the sword. 
The quiver rattles against his side, along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, he eats up the ground. He cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, he snorts, Aha! I like that part. He catches the scent of battle from afar, the shout of commanders and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread his wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build his nest on high? He dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is his stronghold. From there he seeks out his food. His eyes detect it from afar. His young ones feast on blood, and where the slain are, there is he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Isn't that just beautiful and poetic language? That last part's a little gnarly, but uh, I, I just think that's uh, that's pretty cool stuff. And, and this story, I just want to just share a, a, a couple of quick truths that this story affirms for us. And when coupled with the creed, it really brings out some things that, that we need to know as we think about God. And that we need to know that the Christian church affirms about this very personal God. And the first one is simply this, that, that we find in the story and in the creed an affirmation of God's love and concern for his people and for his creation. An affirmation of God's love and his concern. You see, in this section of scripture, God speaks to Job as a father. Now, you might detect a little note of sarcasm in God's voice in this section of Scripture, to which I would not encourage you fathers on earth to use in the way you speak to your earthly children, but God can get away with it. But here he is, and he's, he has lots of things to say to Job. His, his, he needs to set him straight, right? He needs to confirm things and make things clear to Job about who he really is. But in doing so, what I noticed as I read this is that God does not push Job away. God does not say, go figure out and get back to me when, you're, when you got it figured out. Instead, I, I see God here as a father taking Job under his arms and into, close to him and saying, Job, listen, 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 man, listen, son. Let me help you get this straight as to who I really am. Let me help clarify in your thinking who I really am and just make it clear to you. Instead of pushing away and fix it yourself, get close to me. I love you so much. I'm your father, but I want to make sure that you get this right. You know, as parents, I've discovered that one of my key jobs is to define reality for my children. I have an eight-year-old daughter. Some of you have daughters. Some of you are daughters, and, and uh, no, no offense, but uh, my daughter can get a little spun out from time to time. My son can as well, but, uh, but there are times, well, just two quick instances for both my kids that it happened last night and one even here this morning. Last night during the worship service in Carpinteria, Katie was there and she had her headband that had been given to her by her aunt and was her favorite one and she evidently took it off and got excited in one of the songs and just snapped it. And suddenly she was in tears and I looked over at her and I got blessed and I thought, oh, she's worshiping the Lord. <laughs> She loves Jesus so much. And then she came over to me and during the singing and had her headband and she was like, it's broken. And so I had to comfort and console her, you know, in those moments. But, but it was beginning to kind of get out of control, you know. It was a little more sobbing in my arms. So I had to lean over to her and say, honey, your, your mom's still here. Your brother still loves you. 
I've got my arms right around you. Your aunt will buy you a new headband. I will if she won't. That will be just as good as this one, if not better. I know you're sad, but it's a good time maybe to dial back into what we're doing here because this is important too. It took her a few moments. Let's be honest, it took her a few moments, but that was an opportunity for me to, to just kind of define reality for, for my daughter in the midst of being spun out over this particular issue. Now, let's just, let's just admit the fact that we all, whether we're eight-year-old girls or, or something more, we get spun out over how we think about God, even. And when we look at the world around us, when we think about some of the situations that are happening to us, and we even begin to wonder... Oh, how could God do this, or can God really love me, or what, what's happening in the world when, he act, when this kind of happens? What's God's place in this? God, I sense, just says to us, even in those moments, I'm your father. I love you. Draw up close to me. Let me wrap you in tight, and let me affirm again that I love you, and I'm very concerned about you. And when the creed says, God the Father Almighty, we got to remember that this was Jesus' word that he used when he talked about God, the Father. And when he taught his disciples how to pray, how did he tell us to address God? Our Father who art in heaven. It's a, it's a word that connotes relationship. It speaks of closeness and intimacy. And so we need to know when we declare our faith that we're declaring faith in a God who loves us deeply, loves all of his creation cares for us, has great concern for who you are and where you are in every detail that is happening in your life. You need to know this and be uh, familiar with this. In Matthew uh, 7, 9 through 11, we're reminded of this truth as well. Jesus speaks these words. He says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, none of us would do that, I hope, by the way, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We have a Father. This God is our Father who seeks to give us good gifts, who seeks to care for us and show his concern for us in ways that we could never even expect or imagine. So this first truth, an affirmation of God's love and concern, even in our struggles, even in our suffering. Even in our questions, just like where Job was, his arms come wrapping around us. He's our father. Secondly, in the story, here's another truth for us. We, we see here a recognition of God's power and his authority. His power and his authority. Um, God speaks to Job without a doubt. If you, if you didn't pick up on this, then you really weren't listening. He speaks to Job without a doubt as the almighty. The one who has all power. The one who is completely in charge. The one who is bigger than Job could ever imagine. The one who goes beyond any categories or boxes that Job would have wanted to put him into. The one that surpasses Job's greatest imagination or understanding. Job's, or God speaks to him as the Almighty, the omnipotent one. To speak of God the Almighty is to speak of his power and the ruler of all that he is. And in that passage, you heard him. He, did you do this? No, I didn't think so. How about, how about this? Were you there? No, no, you really weren't. I was, God said. I was. And I've been there. I am there. I will be there. 
God is all-powerful. He is the ruler of all. He is bigger. We like to put God in boxes sometimes, don't we? Don't we like to just kind of say, all right, when we think about God, we kind of think, well, this is my God. You know, like he's our pet, right? Well, well, my God does this or that. My God treats me like this, or my God says this. My God wouldn't want me to do that. If you ever feel yourself starting to say that, would you stop it? Because God can do whatever he wants. God can tell you whatever he wants you to do. And our job is to be responsive to that and to affirm that he is that kind of a God. When I was a kid, I used to, it was awesome. I grew up in Northern California, and and the Golden State Warriors were the NBA basketball team. They still are. You probably haven't heard of them because they're awful. They're always last place. But when I was a kid, this was a great advantage because no one went to their games. And they had to have really low ticket prices to get anybody to come. So if you were a basketball fan, you could go. And before I turned 16, you could get half-price tickets. And so we could buy $5 seats at half-price for $2.50. Do the math. And and then there were so few people there that, don't tell your kids that I did this, but we would sneak down and sit, like, right behind the bench. And so I could ride BART, which was the... Bay Area Rapid Transit, could ride BART, go to a game, buy some nachos, enjoy an NBA basketball game for 10 bucks. It was awesome. Can't, it's about 100 bucks to do that now, by the way. But anyway, I remember one time going to a game, and, and we walked down by the bench, and we were right behind all the benches, and they were playing the Utah Jazz at the time. And there was a player on the Utah Jazz by the name of Mark Eaton. Does anybody remember that name? Mark Eaton. I knew he was big from, from TV. But I had no idea how big that man was. It is forever etched on my brain. I walked by him and I stopped because he was standing right there. It was there. They were having it right before they were going out on the court. He was standing right there. My friends kept walking and I just stopped. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Seven foot four inches. And sometimes you see those seven foot four guys and they're like these little, you know, minute bull kind of skinny pulley kind of things. Uh, Mark Eaton was a chunk. It was like he was a mountain. He was huge. He was big. And on the court, no one messed with Mark Eaton. If he wanted a rebound, he went and got a rebound. If he wanted to set a screen, he set a screen. If he wanted to get closer to the basket, he got closer to the basket. He was shall we say, almighty on, on the court. And, 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 and I, this is just a small, silly picture of who God is. But we need to realize that when we look around and we think about all the other things that could rival God, you know, the gods with small Gs in our lives, like money or possessions or friends or relationships or jobs or houses or cars, whatever it might be, these things are so dinky compared to our God who rises above head and shoulders. And you heard it in that scripture that he is a God who is powerful and who has all authority in our lives. Now, some of you think that, um, that the devil and God are equals. I just want to, to clear that up right now. Some of you think that, and this has been kind of a teaching, I don't know how we picked this up, but one of those pop philosophies maybe, that, that the devil and God are like good and evil, you know, and they, they battle and sometimes God wins and sometimes the devil wins and sometimes the saints win and sometimes the cults win. I'm not going to say who's who. I'm not going to say who's who. I'll leave that to your own judgment. But, uh, 
You kind of have this, this battle going back and forth, and we just kind of envision it. God on this shoulder and the devil over here, you know, and it's a toss-up as to who's going to win. Can I, the creed and this, state, and this passage affirms that it is not true. The devil is a subordinate to the Father Almighty. The devil cannot uh, uh, do battle on equal footing with, with God. They are at two different levels. Is he, a, is he a pest? Absolutely. Is he a nuisance? Absolutely. Is he a, uh, a deceiver and one that would tri- try to trip us up and trick us? Absolutely. But is he on par with God and able, if, if you know, all things being even, able to vanquish God, conquer him, or beat him in battle? No. No, no, no. God is almighty we need to remember it. Know that when you speak about God as a Christian, you're talking about a God who's completely in charge. And so it's our invitation today to let God be God in your own life. Put your trust in him and what he's doing even in the world. The last part is this. What we see here is a celebration of God's creativity and his care. You know, again, uh, God's words there to Job. Uh, did, you, did you put that horse together? No, I didn't think so. Does, does the hawk fly where you want it to go and at what time? And are you responsible for the seasons and that water thing and earth and light, you know, the creation? No, I didn't think so. That, that was me. And so just a, re- a reminder, again, of, of how small we are and how big God is, but, but also just how, how beautiful God is and how amazing he is and his creativity to begin but also to sustain everywhere we look, everything we see. In fact, look out the window. You're allowed if you can. See the trees. See the mountain. See the skies. Now think, imagine you're driving on the 101 between Carpentria and Ventura. and You're going south and just look out to your right. I know we're supposed to keep our eyes on the road, but just for a moment, the sea and, and all the animals that are there and the fish and, and the beauty of his creation. Now, here's one more. Look at each other. I know this is always a little bit awkward, but just look at each other for a moment. You, I'm looking at you, and you're good-looking people, and you are God's creation. He's, he's, he's created you with such care and such beauty and and such uniqueness. It's amazing. I mean, to think about that, God, you know, God is, is responsible for all that is. That means he's responsible for you. And it's that old saying, you know, God don't make no junk, right? He has shown such. That when, we, when we affirm this God in the, in the creed, we affirm a God who is filled with creativity and with, with care. I saw the picture in the newspaper of Steve Jobs. Is that how you say his name? Steve Jobs, holding up again this week a new creation of Apple. Did you see it? Really creatively titled, the iPad. Not the iPod, the iPad. It's, it's a little bit larger iPod, basically, iPod Touch that has all the, 
cool Apple iPod-y things on it, and it's just going to be the next rage. And, and but every time Steve Jobs has one of these, you know, speeches where he unveils, he just, I, I, I admire the guy, and, and I, I'm not, I have an iPod, I'm not a big Apple user, but I admire him, and, but he just has this smug little look on his face, doesn't he? Like, we've done it again. Everybody's going to be playing catch-up with Apple for the next couple of years, and they probably will. But anytime, I mean, we look at how smug he, you know, he is, or how, how, how creative he is, and the engineers at Apple, how, how creative they are. All that creativity comes from one place, from God. He, he is the creator of all that is. He, he didn't just wind this earth up into being and, and go on vacation. He sustains us. He creates new things every day. His mercies are new every morning. He is creating new babies that come into our community of faith that we get to look at every day. And he's still creating new life. And people like Enid Sawyer that I prayed for turned 93, got to go have a piece of chocolate fudge cake with her on Friday afternoon. And, and he's creating newness even in her life. He's Look for the new things that God's creating. Trust in his ability to sustain you as well. So, so here we are. We have a God who's the Father. We have a God who's almighty. We have a God who's the creator of everything. And, and the question that just smacks me in the face is, what do I do with a God like this? What do I do with a God like this? And so I kept reading in Job. And, and I just kept reading. I flipped over to page 42 where finally Job gets to talk. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, da-da-da-da-da. Were you there? No, I didn't think so. Okay, now you can talk. And, and Job finally takes advantage. And he says this. In the first few verses, I think it'll be on the screen for you too. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. There's a great place to start. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Anybody like to, you know, testify with Job? Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Verse 5, listen to this. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. How many of us have perhaps heard of God? We've read the creed, we, we've read the Bible even. We've been in church for a long time, and we, or maybe for a very short time. We, we've heard of God, but have we really seen him? And, and my invitation to us as we read this creed and as we think about this God this morning, this Father, Almighty, Creator kind of God, is to not just hear about him or to know about him, but to know him, to see him to let him have his way in us and to respond to him. When, when Job finally got a glimpse of the fullness and the beauty and the power and, and the love of God, then, then he, he could do nothing else. I, I despise myself. And, and the original word there for, that they've translated despise just simply meant to melt away or to dissolve. In other, in other words, Job is saying, uh, I'm, I'm backing off here, God. I'm backing off. And then he says, I'll repent in dust and ashes. So I think there's, there's, there's two just big things we need to, how we need to respond. The first one is simply that, in, in humility. When, we, when we're confronted by a God like this, 
our only appropriate response is to say, less of me, less of my ideas, less of my will, less of what I want, and, and more of yours, God, more of your plan, more of your purposes, more of your will and your way for my life. Amen. Humility, a humble, a humble spirit. And, and our humility then really leads us into this, this place of worship. And so you kind of move from humility right into worship. And, and that's just that, that same idea, that basic idea. All, of I, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. I don't know if those, are those up? Are they loud? No? Um, so humility and worship. And then once we, in, in worship, there's then this beautiful process of, of repentance. And repentance just, you know, again, that just tells us that when we're, when we're going one way, when we're confronted by a God like this, when we really get to know him, then, then we have no choice but to turn around and go in a new direction, to move in a new way. So, so maybe today there's, again, some things that, that you're doing, some directions that you're going that are, that are contrary to the kind of God that, that we've, we've learned about and heard about again today, contrary to what he would want for you. And to, to appropriately respond to who this God is to repent, is to say, I've been going the wrong direction. And, and then fourthly, it's just to repent and lead right into our obedience. To say, again, okay, as Job did, uh, surely I spoke of things I did not know. And, and surely we have gone in directions that we thought were good, but we're not. Now our desire is only to go in the way that God has for us. Humility, worship, our right belief in God equals or prompts right behavior in our lives. Humility, worship, repentance, and obedience. My greatest prayer for you this morning is that, is that you not only hear about God, but that you see him with your own eyes, see him face to face. And that this God who can be so vague and so distant perhaps, or, you know, again, as our world tells us, can become so many other things and we can personalize him and make him what we want to be, that you would know for sure that if you're a Christian today or if you're interested in what Christians believe, then, then, then we, we believe more than that. We believe in a very specific God, a Father, a Father who's almighty, and who's creator. I want to pray for you, and I'm going to invite our worship team to come, and uh, we're, we're just going to sing a little song for you today, and, and some of you may know it, and if so, you can kind of hum it along, but we're going to sing a, a song for you today as we close, and really what I want you to do is just listen and reflect and ponder this God that we've spoken of, that the creed speaks of, and, and come face to face with him in a new and fresh way. And let it impact the way that you live your lives. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We thank you, O oh God, that you are all these things that we have spoken of. You are so much more, but we know for sure that you are Father. That you are Almighty. That you are the creator of all that is. We don't just declare our belief in the fact that a God exists somewhere. A power, a force, an impersonal uh, force in the universe. No, we declare our faith today, our confidence in a very personal, loving, uh, caring, all-powerful, creative God who has been revealed to us in so many ways, uh, and especially in his son Jesus, who we worship today. So, so strengthen us, God, as we live for you. Strengthen us as we confront you. Strengthen us as we 
come face to face with you and send us out to be your people, changed and transformed by that experience uh, as we seek to live for you in the world in which we're a part of. We love you, God. Thank you for being so present with us here this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. And you are not a God dependent on any mortal man. And you are not a God in anything we can give by your plan that's just the way it is you are God alone from before time began you were on your throne and you are God alone and right now in the good times and bad Oh, oh, oh. 
From before time began, you were on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. Hey, would you stand with me? He is unchangeable. He is unshakable. Our God is unstoppable. Nothing we can do to change that. <laughs> That's his plan. Just put your hands out like this, would you? It's all right. I won't hurt you. Make this your prayer with me as we praise our glorious God. Paul writes to the Ephesians, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. amen and amen go and live to the glory of god god bless you